Welcome to the Speak Like a Leader podcast with John Bates. Welcome to the show. With me today, I have somebody that I think you're going to really love. And I think he's got some things, no matter where you are, what you're doing, I think you want to listen to this because one of the things that you know, if you know my story, is that I always undervalued the power of public speaking. It was kind of the thing I was good at. I had the soft skills. The people around me had the hard skills. They got paid more. They seemed better. And I just devalued what I brought to the table. And then I went to TED and I had these two huge realizations. One is, wow, that's powerful. That kind of public speaking is insanely powerful. And it dawned on me a little later, this is what we're programmed to respond to through eons of evolution. Some person standing up in front of the group and speaking, that's powerful. So that was the first thing I got. The second thing I got, I think to my credit, is I realized I had not been doing that, right? I'd been doing public speaking, but I had not been doing public speaking at that level. And you know, that was the thing, if you know my story, that just pushed me into what I'm doing now that I love, that I feel like is my reason for living and uh, that has been very good to me. And so that recognition of the value of public speaking and then the willingness to go out and get yourself on stages. So who we're going to talk to today is a gentleman named Grant Baldwin. And he came to me through Mike Michalowicz. So I know a lot of a lot of you know and love Mike Michalowicz like I do. So thank you, Mike. Yet again, the patron saint of speaklikealeader.show brought me Grant Baldwin. And Grant is the founder of thespeakerlab.com, where he teaches speakers how to get booked and paid to speak consistently. Grant, welcome to speaklikealeader.show. Thanks for joining us. John, thanks for letting me hang out with you, man. This is gonna be fun. Oh, it's going to be a blast. And you know, I, I didn't, I don't remember the number, but how many people have you helped? It said on your, and the footer of your website somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I, we've, we've worked with thousands and thousands of speakers all over the world. Uh, we've worked with speakers in every U.S. state, 49 different countries around the world. And the, the reality, like John, as you well know, that there's no shortage of people who are interested in speaking and some people who want to do it full time, do it as a career, some people that want to do it as part of their existing career, or their business. And so uh, whether you want to speak a ton or a little bit, and, and even if you're not really sure uh, what you want to speak about, uh, we, we work with speakers of all different ages and stages of it. That's awesome. You know, I mean, and uh, I, you know, I used to have a coach who would say, you know, yeah, look, it's great that you've got this unbelievably important, powerful message to get out to the world. If you can't make a business out of it, it's not going to go very far. Right. You know, so this this, you know, taking control of getting yourself booked and paid consistently, you know, the, I love Ron, uh, Ron Finley was the gangster gardener from Ted, uh, from his Ted talk. And he said in that talk, the funny thing about sustainability is you have to sustain it. So I think, yeah, I, I want to go, I want to go back to something you said there uh, as far as like treating this like a business. And I think that's where a lot of speakers struggle is the way that a lot of speakers kind of get into speaking is they were invited to speak to something here or there. There's word of mouth, something fell in their lap. They did a gig or two. They're like, that was really fun. I would love to do more of that. So I guess now 
I just sit back and I wait for the phone to ring again. And like that just does not work. And so speaking is very much a momentum business and you have to treat it like a business. And so if you if you want it to just be a hobby, that's fine, but you cannot put in hobby effort and expect business results. And so the speakers that you look up to, you admire, you respect, you're like, oh, they're killing it. They're getting top dollar for their speaking fees. Like it's because they treat it like a business and not just some type of pastime or hobby that they hope will magically work out. Yeah, boy. So good. So listen, I don't know. I don't want to ask you for all your secrets, but I want to delve into some of the things that you talk to people about. Before we do that, let me just ask you about any leader who was who had some important communication for you that you still remember today that's made a difference for you. Does anybody come to mind? Yeah, there's a, a lot of leaders that have impacted my life and, and have affected the trajectory of my life. One early on was actually my youth pastor. So way back uh -huh. when I was in high school, I was really involved in my local church. My youth pastor had a big impact in my life. And that was kind of the path I was on. I, I, uh, I actually went to Bible college. I was a youth pastor myself at a different church for a little while. And that gave me a lot of opportunities to speak. He was one of the best speakers that uh, I had seen. And I was like, I just want to do that. Like that seems super, super cool. And so yeah. the, not only from a just like a, um, an impactfulness on just my life, life personally and who I was, but also just from like a speaking standpoint, like that boy, he could just take people on a journey and like, that was phenomenal. I want to do that. That just seemed like a, a really cool gig. And so, yeah, he was absolutely a leader that from a, a personal, um, on the stage and off the stage presence, he, he really had a, a big impact in me. So what's one of the specific lessons, any of them? I mean, it could be character. It could be public speaking. What was one of the big things you, you took away from him? Yeah, I know that he really genuinely cared about me off the stage and it wasn't something yeah. that he was just doing some type of dog and pony show from the stage. And so uh, I think that that's, uh, that's a, an important note for any speaker is that if you're amazing on the stage, but you are a jerk to people off stage <laughs> or there's just like yes. this incongruency, like people are just like, ah, like that's that's not right. And not, not even just like uh, in terms of audience members, but anyone, the event planners, the AV, the tech team, like you want to be amazing. We tell speakers all the time, you want to be amazing on stage, but you want to be just as good off stage because listen if you're amazing on stage but you're a pain in the butt to work with or you're a diva or you're a prima donna like people do not want to work with you they yeah. want to work with people who are just like genuinely good human beings and so be authentic on stage in terms of what you're bringing and presenting but also just be that same authentic person off stage as well you know boy amen brother i i work i've worked with probably 35 plus TEDx events mm -hmm. and still, you know, have a lot of friends in that community. Boy, I'll tell you, if you're a prima donna speaker, word spreads yeah. quickly and you don't get invited onto that stage. And I think it's the same everywhere. You know, I know that when I go speak, one of my, of course, I'm, I mean, I feel like it's almost table stakes. Of course, I'm going to do a great speech and the audience is going to love me. Like if I don't do that, I'm not getting invited anywhere. But so that's kind of handled. That's kind of almost an assumed. I feel like my real job is to have everybody I interact with just go away. Just having had an excellent experience of me, particularly the meeting planners and the you know, the people who put the microphone on you and yep. the people who are running the sound and the lights and, you know, 
Uh, yeah, you I feel like that's like from, the real job. Yeah, from an event planner standpoint, like uh, they, you think about it, they are they have hundreds and hundreds of different things that they're thinking about as it relates to an event, and uh, yes. the speaker is one of those. Now, the speaker is an important part of it, but it's just one part of it. And so, the easier you can be to work with, and the simpler you can make things for them, the more likely they're going to want to be to work with you in the future, to recommend you, to refer you, to bring you back for additional events. So, John, you mentioned you've worked with a lot of different TEDx events there, and you could probably remember some amazing speakers who are just a pain in the butt and you're just like, I just wouldn't recommend them. And you can probably remember some speakers who were uh, amazing offstage. They were incredibly gracious and kind. They were thoughtful. They were caring. They were authentic. They were compassionate. They were uh, awesome to work with. They were professional. And they were they like they were solid on stage. It wasn't the best speaker yeah. you've ever seen. They weren't the worst speaker. But you're a yeah. lot more likely to recommend this speaker. This speaker was great because they were so great off stage. And so I was, yeah. uh, I remember years ago, uh, I was working, uh, I had an assistant at the time who would help with a lot of like uh, speaking gigs I was doing. And I, I would always remind her like, your role is so incredibly important because of the ease that makes it for the event planner and the decision maker. Yeah. So the easier we can make their life, uh, then the the more likely they're going to want to be to work with uh, us after the fact. And so I would always kind of joke around like, if we're amazing to work with, I can be mediocre on stage. Now, obviously yeah. I'm not trying to be mediocre on stage. I'm trying to bring my absolute best, but it was just like, it, it, it kind of lowered the pressure because it's just like, it's it's the experience of working with a uh, with the speaker. And so much of that is what happens off stage rather than just on stage. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I totally agree. Um, okay, so can we talk about one of my biggest pet peeves for a second, just see what you have Please. to say about it? I'm excited it. to see where this is going. Okay, but the biggest one, I mean, and I guess maybe it's partly because of what I do, but this is just one of the most disappointing things to me ever and frustrating and aggravating. It makes me mad. When I go to a restaurant that has an incredible view, you know, I used to live in LA near the beach. There's all these wonderful restaurants up and down the coast that have these gorgeous views. And then they have mediocre food. Mm-hmm. And they can get away with it. Like they've been in business for years doing that and they get away with it. And I'm making an analogy to those speakers who've done something totally amazing, right? And then they're just have such a totally mediocre speech about it, yeah. right? The thing they did was totally unbelievable and cool and exciting, but their speech is so, ah. Yeah, no, there's absolutely, there's a lot of... Um... Uh, restaurants that you think of like I was thinking of um, uh, like a Hard Rock Cafe or like a Planet Hollywood some of these that are like they have a shtick to them and that's yeah. something that brings people in the door uh, yeah. and then the, you taste the food and, yeah the food's fine it's not horrible it's not amazing yeah. but it's the yeah. type of thing you're like I'm not I'm not coming back uh, versus like I'll give you an example um, like one, one thing we tell speakers all the time is that your best marketing is a great talk your best totally marketing agree. is a great talk totally and so agree. there's a I live in the Nashville area and there's a place about um a uh, half hour from me called Baja Burrito. And Baja Burrito is this little hole in the wall place that uh, all of the the um, the tables and chairs in there are like uh, uh, lawn chairs. And they're like these old plastic, like plastic. I don't even know that this place could uh, pass a health code inspection. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's like, it's, it's a mess in there. But 
there's always a line out the door. I would drive 30 minutes out of the way to go to Baja Burrito because the food is so good. And like, there's nothing special about the environment or the ambiance or anything, but the food is amazing. And so you think about like, again, to your point, like a restaurant, you know, if you, if you, uh, um, if the restaurant has an amazing view, um, and, or even like, let's go the opposite direction. Let's say like the food is absolutely amazing. It's the best food that you've ever had, but um, you know, like the service sucks and the, yeah, no. um, uh, the, the waiter's yeah. uh, rude and it takes forever to get your food. And, um, you know, on and on the list goes, you're just like, I, I, I mean, it's good, but like, do I want to put up with that? Uh, and there's a level that like, you will put up to a, to a point, but eventually you're yeah. just like, it's just not worth it. And so wow. if a speaker's amazing, but they're a pain in the butt to work with, you're like, I just, it's, it's, it's not worth the risk. Yeah, no. And then though, think about those people who've done that amazing thing go to the trouble to really craft and deliver a fabulous talk and are still excellent to work with. Like that's, right. you know, that's a high five moment. Totally. Yeah. And that like, that's, those are the speakers that, that build a career out of this and they stay at it for years and years and years because they're great on stage and they're great off yep. stage. So what are some of the things that uh, you know, that people come to you when they don't already have a big speaking career, but let's say that they're, let's say they're doing something really amazing in the biotech space as a startup entrepreneur, or they're running a big division for a multinational corporation. Like they're doing something, they're already pretty good at public speaking, but let's say that I've just poked them in the ribs and said, Hey, I think you need to be on more stages. I think you need to do more public speaking to develop yourself as a thought leader and get that attention and that following. What do those people show up? Like, like what are a few things you would tell them if they're listening or what are some of their misconceptions when they come in or anything totally. like that? Yeah. So what we do with all the, the students and clients that we work with at the speaker labs, we teach what we call the speaker success roadmap. So it's a five step process that makes the acronym speak. So, uh, let me just like kind of quickly go over yeah. that at a high level view and then we can kind of dig in wherever, we, wherever you want. But before we get there, let me kind of go back to one thing you mentioned as well is, you know, sometimes, uh, speakers who they have some type of resume, they have some type of credentials. And mm -hmm. so I think oftentimes that can be a misconception or a limiting belief that speakers think I need to have some type of story. I need to have a accomplish something crazy in order to be a speaker. I had that same limiting belief when I got started because I'm a white male from the Midwest who grew up in a normal middle-class family. Like there is nothing on paper that you'd be like, oh, well, I mean, of course that guy's a speaker. Like that, that makes sense. Like that's not the case at all. So I'll give you an example. There was, um, I remember early on in my speaking career, I met a guy who uh, was a phenomenal speaker since become a good friend. And he had cancer as a child, had a leg amputated, and went on to become a one-legged downhill skier in the Paralympics. Wow. And I just, I hear this and I'm just like, I, I can't compete with that. Like, dude, yeah, I got yeah. none of those things, right? Yeah. And yeah. so we think in order to be a successful speaker that we need to have, you know, um, won a gold medal, or we need to have cured cancer, or we need to be a Nobel Peace Prize winner, or we need to, you know, uh, climb Mount Everest in our shorts. And like, it just, uh, that's not necessarily the case. <laughs> there are a lot yeah. of great speakers that don't have some type of, of amazing resume like that. So all that being said, is kind of a, a baseline. Let's go back to like that speak framework, that S-P-E-A-K. So the first part of the process, S, is select a problem to solve. Solve. Select a problem to solve. So there's two key questions that every speaker needs to answer. You got to be really clear on who do you speak to? And number two is what problem do you solve for that audience? Now, the mistake a lot of speakers make here is we feel the need to spread this net as far and wide as possible. And so who do you speak to? 
I don't know, man. I, sp I speak to people. I speak to humans. My message is for everybody. Well, we all understand like if it's for everybody, it's really for nobody. So you got to be clear on who it is that you speak to. In addition, the second question there is what problem do you solve? Now, again, this is where I'll talk with speakers sometimes. I'll say, hey, what do you, what do you speak about? And they say, well, what do you want me to speak about? I can speak about anything. It's like, that doesn't work. So one thing we always tell speakers is you wanna be the steakhouse and not the buffet. The steakhouse, not the buffet. And here's what we mean by that. So John, let's imagine you and I are going out to eat. We're looking for a good steak. We've been talking about restaurants. And so we have a choice. We could go to a buffet where steak is one of a hundred things that they offer and they're all mediocre. Or we could go to a steakhouse where they do one thing, but they do that one thing really, really well. They don't do seafood, they don't do pasta, they don't do tacos, they don't do cupcakes, they do steak, and that's it. And again, it's counterintuitive, but the more narrow, the more focused you are, the easier it is to try to, find, to be able to find gigs that are right for you. So yeah. that's the first part of the process is S, select a problem to solve. The P then, prepare your talk. Get really, really clear. What's the solution that you're offering to, uh, to the problem that the event planner or decision maker has? And this can come in the form of a keynote or a workshop or a breakout or consulting, or uh, it could come uh, in person, it could be virtual virtual. There's a lot of different options there of how you provide the solution. The E is to establish yourself as the expert. So two key marketing assets every speaker needs is you need a website and you need a demo video. So in this day and age, if you don't have a website, you don't exist. It's hard for people to take you seriously. The second thing is you need that demo video. Now, what exactly is a demo video? So think of it like a movie trailer. Before you go see a movie, you want to see the trailer. And a movie trailer is you take a, a two hour movie and they boil it down to two or three minutes. And within those two or three minutes, you have an idea of who's in it, what's the plot, what's the theme, what's the movie about. And the goal of the movie trailer and the goal of the demo video is to make people want to see more. And so an event planner decision maker is most likely not going to feel comfortable hiring you unless they have some level of confidence and ideally that they've seen something from you. And so a demo video can fit that mold. Next yep. part, A, is to acquire paid speaking gigs. Now, this is the part we want to fast forward to. Like, dude, just tell me how to book gigs. But if you don't have these other foundational pieces in place, it becomes really difficult to be able to book gigs. And when we talk about booking gigs, this means that you have a proactive system that you are using to book gigs. And that's what a big thing that we teach our students is not being reactive because a mistake some speakers make is going, okay, I, I have my website, I have my demo video, and now I just sit back and I wait for the phone to ring. Like, <laughs> listen, that does not work. Like, your mom is three about your website. She's going to tell both of her friends, but nobody else cares. And so it's very much not a, if you build it, they will come. It does not work like that. So at this point, again, we have to be proactive and starting to reach out to potential decision makers and have a system to follow up. And then the last part of the process, K is no when to scale, no when to scale. Meaning a lot of people who are interested in speaking are also interested in writing a book or doing a course or doing coaching or doing consulting or doing a podcast or doing a YouTube channel or doing any number of things. And you can do all the things, but you can't do all the things at once. Something's going to come first, something's going to come last. So you got to be really, really clear about how speaking fits into the mix and how you want it to be a part of your business. So again, I know we covered a lot of information there, but uh, that's kind of the high level view of the speaker success roadmap that, that we teach our students. Uh, it's, it makes perfect sense to me. I think it's it's super awesome. And, uh, and I think you said where we were going to go next, but I forgot where we were going to go next. Do you remember? Probably our got, listeners... No, where, like from there, where, if you want to jump in from, from there and uh, where you want to go from there, if you want to dig into any of that. Okay. So, yeah. So, so for these people that, that I think public speaking could be great leverage, I think that last one is, is in some ways a place for them to start to know where this fits in, right? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily when to scale. They're already like 
super busy with their yeah. day job, but how would speaking fit into them and their plans for becoming, uh, you know, more of a thought leader in the arena, which would be good for them ultimately long-term and good for their business as well. So, um, so let me, let me jump in on that. So, yeah, okay. um, yeah, because like one of the great things about speaking, John, as you all know, is there, uh, there's a lot of flexibility to what it can look like. Meaning there are some speakers that do 50, 75, hundred gigs a year. And there's probably people who are watching or listening going like, that sounds amazing. I would love to do 50, 75, hundred gigs a year. And other people are like, nope, no, thank you. That's not appealing. Or, uh, I've, I've just got a lot on the plate and I just don't have the bandwidth for it. Um, and I, I like speaking, but I don't want to do it that much. And I'd love to do, I don't know, five gigs, 10 gigs, maybe one a month. Like that's also acceptable. There's yeah. not a right or wrong answer of how many gigs you have to do. Like, again, you get to design and choose what the business looks like for you. So when we talk about that K part of, you know, figuring out where speaking fits into the mix, I know speakers who 100% of their business is speaking and that's all they do. They don't care about books. They don't want to do consulting. They don't want to do coaching. They don't want to do anything else. And other people who say, I do a little bit of speaking here and there, but then I also, I'm really focused on, on consulting or coaching. I'll give an example. Um, there's a speaker I talked to uh, just recently. He had joined one of our training programs about 10 months ago, and he is a business owner. He works primarily in the construction industry, and he teaches construction companies about how to better implement systems and processes for running their business. So if we go back to one of the things we talked about earlier, that um, like with restaurants, they may have amazing food, but uh, everything else sucks or vice versa. People don't want to go there. And the same thing is true with construction companies. If you build an amazing house, but you're paying in the butt to work with, it's hard for people to want to work with you. So he helps them with their systems processes and make sure that not only is their product good, but there's the process of working with them is amazing experience. So when he goes and speaks, he's not trying to necessarily like, I'm trying to, you know, uh, necessarily get a check for that gig. Now he does get paid and gets paid well for it. But the win for him is on the back end of, of um, attendees or audience members who may hire him and his company company to do some type of training, consulting, implementation of his of his work. And so yep. for him, speaking is much more uh, about recognition. It's much more about brand awareness within the marketplace. It's much more about some of the, the prestige and authority that he can have as a speaker. And also just from a lead gen standpoint for his, the other parts of his business. So yep. again, all that to say, um, well, and one, just to kind of put a bow on that, he had joined our program about 10 months ago. And he told me the other day, he's booked 40 gigs since joining, which is an an insane amount. That's not necessarily normal, but yeah. Uh, but just like he getting after it, wow. and, and booking gigs, booking gigs, booking gigs. Uh, but the, he talked about like how it has completely transformed his business, not necessarily from a speaking standpoint, but from the uh, coaching and training business that he has for construction companies. The amount of generate of business that is generated for that has been astronomical because yeah. of the speaking. So again, all that to say, there's a lot of versatility in how to use speaking depending on what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, well, I mean, and I think what you just said, that example is a perfect example of, of one of the big things I'm pointing at. And, you know, I, I work with a, uh, a founder of a biotech company who came to me because his uh, one of his competitors in a similar area had booked a TED talk, a TEDx talk, mm -hmm. and gotten to give the talk his competitor talked about all the stuff that he had been working on, right? Cause I mean, parallel tracks, not like any stealing, but like talked about all this stuff that he'd been thinking about so much, but had never gone out and talked about. And then they raised a, a month after that, they raised this huge raise 
And he was like, I got to get out there and talk about this, <clears throat> you know? So I think that's, you know, those two examples, I think frame it up pretty well. Yeah, I mean, you just think about uh, speaking in general and, you know, any conference or event that any of us have ever been to, like we, we any speaker that is up on stage, there's, again, a certain amount of, of recognition, of authority, of credibility that we ascribe to that person. And so uh, even if you're someone who's just like, ah, you know, I don't know if it makes sense to get paid for it or, you know, do I, am I trying to get paid for it? I just want, you know, is it worth to just speak? Yeah, like it can absolutely make a lot of sense for you in your pond to become a, a go-to go authority and expert uh, just because you're, you're speaking in that space yeah so now um you know one of the other things that i think about a lot and i just love to to have you riff on this with me is uh i actually came up with a thing i call the bates equation of public speaking because i'm not super creative and i'm slightly narcissistic maybe i don't know perfect but, uh, give it to me the, the bates equation of public speaking that so it goes like this one times 20 times 3000. So that's 60,000 minutes. When I'm speaking for 20 minutes at a TED talk, let's say to 3000 people. Mm -hmm. So let's divide 60,000 minutes by 60. We get 1000 hours mm -hmm. of human life that I am responsible for when I speak for 20 minutes to 3000 people. Mm. And I don't want to prepare. Right. Oh, really? You know, yeah. Well, like, you know, I'm good at winging it and I could never be as uh, I could never be as in the moment and, you know, genuine if I practiced and yeah. I'd come across robotic. Right. Well, I mean, you know, dude, that's a lot of time yeah. to kind of take for granted like that. And the other thing is, like, when I speak, you know, I'm speaking to people I could never afford to pay them all their day rate to come listen to me speak, right? But somebody's not only paying them their day rate, they've flown me in, they've rented the building, they've paid for everybody to fly in, they're covering all of our meals and expenses. What I say better darn well be worth all of that times 10 or 100 or 1,000, totally. or I'm not gonna get invited back very often. Right. Yeah, I, I a thousand percent agree with that. You know, I think that the the best speakers on the planet are the ones that tend to spend a ton of time practicing, pre preparing, rehearsing, going over their material time and time and time again. Now, you may watch them and think like, oh, it looks like they're just winging it. It's because they've spent so much time practicing and preparing and rehearsing that Bingo. it looks like they're just going through the motions. But in reality, like everything is very, very thought through and crafted and, and well-timed. So let me give you another example. Let's think through like a, a sports analogy. So um, if you look at some of the best athletes on the planet, let's take, uh, you know, in basketball, like a LeBron James, okay? He's one of the one of the greatest basketball players of all time, and he's phenomenal at what he does. He's a, a huge human specimen uh, who is very naturally talented and very athletic, but he also spends hours and hours and hours in the gym, practicing, uh, lifting weights, going over drills like time and time and time again, so that by the time he gets up on the court, sure, he could just go through the motions and never have to practice practice at all and he'd probably be better than you and I and most people but to be some of the best like he really spends the time to practice go over it time and time and time again let me give you a quick uh, story on this I heard this from a, a speaker friend of mine Alan Stein jr. Um, and so props and credit to him but uh, he 
comes from the back basketball industry. He's a phenomenal speaker, but comes from the basketball industry. He used to do some like coaching training with NBA players. And so he had an opportunity several years ago to, um, to, to uh, attend a coaching uh, or kind of training session, workout session with Kobe Bryant. And uh, Kobe Bryant, this was years ago when he was still at the top of his game. And um, he attends this training session with Kobe Bryant and he notices that uh, Kobe is doing like all these like really basic fundamental footwork drills just over and over and over and over and over and over. And so afterwards he asked me, he said, hey, Kobe, you're one of the best players on the planet. Like, why are you doing all these basic footwork drills? And his answer was, why do you think I'm one of the best players on the planet? <laughs> because he just does the fundamentals yes. so stinking well. And so yeah. the best speakers on the planet, they're not like, oh, I'm just going to scribble some napkins on or some ideas on a napkin and hop up there. Like they really take the craft seriously. And the same thing is true with like um, a, a good example is uh, uh, comedians. You know, uh, if you want to see a really good documentary, there's a documentary called Comedian. That's the Dude. whole comedian I, you see that it? changed my life to see that so good it was so good, so good. yes Here, here's kind really of the premise good. of it if you haven't seen it, i know it was on netflix at one point uh, yeah. I, I before it's on netflix i just bought the dvd because it was that yeah. good but it's really the premise good. is basically like uh, it's about jerry seinfeld and after the tv show seinfeld ended even before that like seinfeld is is a comic he's a stand-up comic he still tours to this day he's a phenomenal comedian and so the tv show uh, seinfeld has ended and he's wanting to get back on the road and do comedy and put together his next special that we would see on like a Netflix today. Okay. Yeah. And so what he ends up doing is you, you see all the behind the scenes of really like how the sausage is made. And so people oftentimes assume like, oh, Seinfeld's funny. So he just hops up, hops up on stage, opens his mouth and funny things happen. And it just yeah. doesn't work like that. Like no. whenever you are creating a, a story or a talk or comedy, you are making an educated guess. I think this is funny. I think this will make sense. I think this will resonate, but I have no idea until I get up in front of a live audience. And so he has some ideas of like, I think these are funny bits, but I'm gonna have to go work it out and test it out in front of people. And so what you see is the behind the scenes in this documentary of him getting up on stage in front of a small group of you know, 50, 100 people in a comedy club. And he's telling jokes that are not funny. And again, he is the height of fame right after Seinfeld has ended. He's telling jokes and he's forgetting the punchline. He's forgetting where I'm going. Uh, he's just losing his train of thought and he's just workshopping he's just trying things out and so again when it fast forwards to months and months later when he performs uh kind of the, the big marquee event that's recorded that's gonna you know end up on netflix or wherever people assume like oh he's just he's just funny and he just hops up there but the documentary comedian shows behind the scenes of all of the practice and preparation uh that it takes to lead to the big marquee event in the end yeah that was just it blew my mind because he's he's like not that funny all yeah, yeah. the time you yep. know like there's these little nuggets out of each performance and he just keeps doing it and gathering the little nuggets but it takes 45 minutes of pain to yep. get a five minute nugget and then by the time he gets to the netflix special it's just all the funny nuggets right mm -hmm. and you know i don't know if you know this but a good friend of mine who used to work with him very closely for years told me Steve Jobs, once they finished writing and crafting the talk, he would practice it for an hour for every minute he was going to be on stage. Mm. And he probably learned that from somebody else who did it named Winston Churchill. Mm. So anyway, yeah, not to beat the practice thing to death, but boy, is that that's one of the big differentiating factors, though. I think it's worth saying that again. I know fabulous speakers and people 
talk to me about them all the time because they know that I work with them. They know that I know them. They know that I coach them. And so I hear how fabulous they are. And a lot of people just assume they are just that good without having any idea how much preparation, hard work, practice goes into that, you know? Right. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, so listen, total swerve here. Um, what was one of the lowest points of your career and what did you learn from it? Can I ask you that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I think uh, just in general, there are, uh, there are highs and lows. There are days that go well. There are speeches that go well. There's events that just like, dang, that was awesome. Like, why can't they all be like that? And then sometimes yeah. you're just like, that sucked. Like that just didn't go well. Uh, and it was a disaster. And I don't, you know, I don't want other things, you know, like travel is one of those things that you can't control. You can't do anything about. And there's days that are super smooth and days that you're just like, man, I just, I just want to go home. I just want to be in my own bed. And yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. And uh, like, I, I can tell you just a couple of like random stories of, um, times where an event hasn't gone well, for example, not like into the world type stuff, but just like, ah, that, you know, that sucked. I remember years ago, um, I was getting started as a speaker. I did a lot in the education space. So I did a lot speaking to, uh, like high schools, colleges. And so I remember speaking at a high school one time and it was like the, the day before uh, spring break. And uh -huh. so uh, it was like an end of the day school assembly. And so the only thing standing between these uh, high school students and spring break is me. And they're like, nobody wants to hear me speak at that point. And so they're like, dude, wrap, wrap it up and, and let us go on spring break. And so I remember partway through the talk, um, uh, there's a, the voice that comes over the loudspeaker for the whole school and is dismissing the girls' volleyball team. They had a game that <laughs> afternoon. You may head to the locker room to get your stuff and then head to the bus and head to your away game, right? So I'm speaking in this, uh, this um, uh, school gymnasium of hundreds and hundreds of teenagers. And all of a sudden, you got a couple dozen uh, teenage girls who stand up from all over, and they're just leaving, right? So that, nobody's paying attention. Everybody's distracted. Yeah. Well, at that point, then you also got uh, you got a couple of dozen teenage guys who are just being dumb and silly, and they're like. I wonder if I can just sneak out. So you have a bunch of guys who stand up. They start leaving as well. So you have everybody like, you know, you got a bunch of people kind of coming and going in the middle of this. And I'm just like, what the heck am I doing? And it was one of those things where it was like, it wasn't necessarily the thing I did wrong other than like, that sucked. Like, let's not do that again. Yeah. Um, I remember speaking at something one time and um, it was at a hotel in New Jersey. And uh, there was this nice Hilton property and they were doing some construction outside the hotel and the power was cut to the entire hotel. There, nothing no power at all within the whole hotel and um it was right before i was getting ready to speak in the event and i was talking to the event planner i was like hey i'm i'm good to go let's let's still do this and there's i don't know i was doing a um like a workshop with maybe 100 people and it was an interior room there's no external yeah. uh, lighting at all and so uh so i asked everyone like hey just uh um turn on the flashlight on your phone and just leave it on. So we got a couple, you know, a hundred people there or something. And I, I didn't have a mic or anything. I'm just kind of shouting and projecting. It's just like one of those, like, well, the, the show must go on. You got to make it work. Um, yeah. I remember one time I was speaking to something and a, uh, a dog came running into the room and this dog is like zipping around. You got a couple hundred people in there. Nobody's paying attention, you know, and you're just, you're kind of like watching them, like, where's going to, where, you know, is the dog going to bite someone or jump on someone? It's like, what's going to happen here? And uh, it's funny and just bizarre at the same time. And so like you, as a speaker, like those things happen, you know, where it's just yeah. like, 
that sucked. I, I don't want to do this anymore. And that was something that was just a, you know, crazy situation or whatever. But like, again, that, that's part of it. And those things make you better speakers. They make you, um, you know, better at the, at the craft or what it is that you're doing. And that's, you know, that, that, that's part of it. Some, some days are like that. Well, you know, let me pull some other lessons out of that. Cause I think there's great stuff in what you said. The first one, do your best not to speak on the final day of school. Like yeah, that's, you know, yeah, do yeah. your best, right? <laughs> and if you have to, good enough. But then the other one is uh, when the power went out, I'm good to go. Like number one, yes, the show must go on, right? That totally. is, there's a performance element to public speaking wherever you are, I think, that is just so powerful when people get it. You know, yep. that the show must go on. I'm responsible for how this is going to turn out. It's on me. I'm I'm owning it. Right. So yep. that's that's one. Number two is it sounds to me like, you know, one of the things I tell people at the time is when you have like a tech glitch or something goes wrong like that. If you get upset about it, everybody will get upset about yeah, it. Yeah. But if you don't get upset about it and you just roll with it and laugh it off, everybody else will roll with it and laugh it off. Like they're going to mirror you. Yep. So good on you that you're like, hey, turn on the flashlight on your phone and let's just do our best here. And yep. everybody's like, oh, okay, right. Bingo. If you would have been all upset and frustrated and yeah. stormed around, that would have turned out differently. Same thing with the dog, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that, that the audience takes their cues from you. Yes. And so when something happens that, let, let's say, um, uh, you know, um, I, I can think of times where I was speaking and the mic stopped working, you know, the batteries <laughs> run yep, out yep, or crazy. whatever happened, you know, yep. and everyone's quickly like, you know, what's he going to do or how's this going to yep. work? And yep. if you make it like it's no big deal, then it's no big deal to the audience. I've had yep. times where I was uh, speaking and I just lost my train of thought. And all of a sudden I'm just like, I don't know what I was talking about, right? And I remember times where I've asked, I remember asking a lady on the front row, I was like, what was I saying? I, I, what, I was yeah. telling a story, what were we talking yeah. about? And yeah. if it's no big deal to me, it's no big deal to the audience. But if all of a Grant, sudden I get super uptight and uncomfortable, then it makes everybody feel like, oh, this is painful to watch. Absolutely true. And I know speakers who will purposefully pretend they forgot. Yeah, yeah. Just to engage the audience to make to have them be listening and, you know, have them re-engage with, oh, yeah, this is what he was saying and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that that's classic. Yeah. I saw um, I saw something. The, I went to see a speaker friend of mine um, a couple of weeks ago, and he's a phenomenal speaker. And so he did something like partway through the talk where he basically started kind of like um, – interacting with the uh, a guy on the AV team at the back of the room uh -huh. yep. and he was it was like the it was almost like the AV guy like messed up an uh, an audio cue or something and so then they're kind of interacting and I'm I'm watching this and I was like oh man what how's he this weird situation how's he handling this and then partway through I'm realizing like ah this whole thing was set up oh but it was not necessarily like in a, a manipulative way at all right, or right, just like right. a, a gotcha way but it was just like a a break in the action and he turned it into this really cool moment and i was like dude that i was talking with them afterwards i was like i don't know where you're going but like that was cool that was really Ninja cool it was just like this pattern interrupt for yeah. the audience um and so yeah doing some of those things where like you, you know you you forget what you you were saying or you you know you, there's something that happens out of the ordinary that you run with like those moments are very raw real and natural for for an audience well, you know, just one more thing on this, forgetting what you say, because I know it comes up for people a lot. Like it's one of the things people are definitely worried they're going to do. Right. Yeah. I got some great 
great advice years ago about that. And, I'll, and, and actually from two different sources that I'll combine together. So the first piece is uh, Craig Valentine. You may know him. He's a fabulous speaker. He was kind of an early mentor of mine, somebody I follow closely and learned a lot from. He, he calls, he has something he calls the powerful pause. Mm -hmm. Now you do that purposefully, but you can also do that when you forget what you're going to say, just do a powerful pause. And the secret is just look deep mm -hmm. while you're not saying anything, you know, you just look deep, you're quiet for a minute, then it comes back to you and you keep going. The other piece that I would add to that is that if you do forget what you're saying, and you pause and you do the powerful pause. The answer is never in here, like looking into your own brain, like rolling your eyes back in your head and trying to figure out what you were going to say. The answer is always over there in the audience. Mm -hmm. Engage over there. Just look more deeply as you're being quiet in your powerful pause and what you were going to say next will show up in somebody's face over there, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, another thing I think it's important to remember, if you lose your place, you forget a story, you tell things out of order, it's okay. Like the, if you are, um, let's say you're at a sporting event singing the national anthem and you forget the lyrics, everybody knows you forgot the lyrics. They know yeah. what the lyrics are supposed to be. Uh, and so they, they know that something was wrong. But if you forget a story, you tell a story out of place, you, you know, forget a point, you're supposed to give five points, you gave four points, or you got them out of order. Like, Nobody knows. Nobody's following along with a script and they're like, wait a second, hang on, let's go back. Yeah, like, bingo. That just doesn't, it do doesn't happen. So if you lose your train of thought and you kind of, a, um, you got to kind of uh, spin your way out of it and go a different direction, nobody yeah. knows any different. Yeah, totally true. Totally true. Listen, we're, we're getting to the end of our time here. I don't, I don't want to go yet, but I want to ask you, is there, is there anything I didn't ask you? Is there, is there anything else that you I got a question for you. Yeah, sure. yeah, I got a question for you. All right. So you you come from the TEDx world. I know you do a lot in the TEDx space. And I yep. think um, uh, I'll give you my thoughts and I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think sure. that uh, a lot of, of especially newer speakers way over index on TEDx and what they think is going to happen. I absolutely think TEDx <laughs> is valuable. Yeah, totally do it. But a mistake that some speakers make is thinking like, I'm just getting started, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do a TEDx talk, and then it's just gonna blow up for me. And that yeah. they've seen that happen with a few speakers, but uh, that is not necessarily the case for the majority of speakers. And so a lot of speakers do a TEDx talk, and you know they may get a, a thousand or a couple thousand views, but it's not like hundreds of thousands or millions of views. All of a sudden, it's gonna change the trajectory of their career. So what do you what would you say to speakers whenever it comes to their expectations of what a TEDx presentation is gonna do for them? Well, first of all, I would I would absolutely agree with you, especially TEDx events. Correct. Like if you're going to speak at a TEDx event and you've got so much of a following that you can drive your video viral yeah. and it's going crazy because of your following, then TED will pick it up because it's going viral and they may amplify that. Yep. But if you don't have that following already, that's much less likely to happen just because you did a TEDx event. And I think TEDx is wonderful. I love TEDx. Do a TEDx if you can do it. If you can get on the TED stage, do it. That's awesome. And there are a few things I would say, but the big thing in the vein of this is I think it's much more important to create a TED-like talk mm. 
that is super awesome. That's short, like maybe 11 to 12 minutes, like maybe not even 18 minutes. Create that unbelievably pithy one idea we're spreading awesome Ted like talk and then yep. give that thing anywhere yeah. and see if you can't give it someplace where they'll record it really well. And then you can put it up online and you know, Grant, I got to speak at Ted a number of times on side stages and I've spoken at a bunch of TEDx events and my very first time on a stage at the TED conference, I blew it. Mm. And it was so bad that if you Google John Bates, Ted fail, I am the first result. And what I did really, really wrong the, I wrote an article that'll come up and you can see it. But the first thing is I did it for myself. I came for, with a selfish motivation, not like evil selfish, but sure. definitely selfish, right? Like I wanted to quote unquote, sell my book. I didn't have a book, but you know, it was about me. Huge mistake. The other thing I did is I had a very short, you know, tech talks can be as short as three or four minutes. I think I had four minutes and I tried to cram a bunch of stuff in. Yeah. And as Craig Valentine says, when you cram your information in, you cram your audience out. I tried to land a bunch of points. I landed none. Yeah. Right. I, I didn't get what I later found is the most important coaching Ted ever gives anybody, which is what is your one idea we're spreading, not your top three or your best yeah. five. Make sure you've got a singular idea that you are supporting and communicating. And, and I definitely think that people over index on Ted and TEDx now, like do it. It's great. Support it. Totally. That's awesome. But it's much more about giving wholeheartedly of your whole self to a one idea we're spreading succinct, well-delivered, well-crafted, you know, well-practiced, incredibly well-delivered talk and give that wherever they'll let you give it, you know? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. Cool. Good. All right. So, so anything else that, that I didn't ask you or anything else you'd like to say? Hey, uh, this has been a ton of fun, man. I appreciate you letting me hang out with you. Um, if if people want to find out more about what we do, everything we do is over at thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. Um, if you listen to this podcast, you probably listen to other podcasts. We have a podcast by the same name, The Speaker Lab Podcast. And uh, we've got over 400 episodes there. So a lot of great content there. Uh, we also, we, we talked through that speak framework real quickly. Uh, we got a book called The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid and Building Your Platform. And so that's definitely worth, worth checking out if you want to dig deeper and how do you find and book gigs. And in fact, right now, uh, we're actually giving out uh, free copies of the book. And so if you go to thespeaklab.com, uh, I think you just pay a couple bucks for shipping and we'll, we'll send you a free hardcover copy of the, of the book. So thespeaklab.com. Absolutely. And we're going to have the speaker lab in the show notes. We'll have a link to that. Um, and, and I, you know, I definitely think that to, to circle back to near the beginning of our conversation, I really think it's a great idea wherever you are, whoever you are, you're involved in business. If you're involved in business, if you've got something that you specialize in that you care about, talk about it. Like it's just a great way to start laying the foundation for your future. If you talk about it a little bit now and it goes really well and you love it and you want to, you can grow it into something else. You could turn it into a lead generation thing. I've had a lot of people from, you know, I, like I've got one of my most fabulous testimonials is from a guy who does, uh, you know, fire and water and mold remediation. 
mm-hmm. who took one of my cohort based courses and it, he says it changed his life and it made him dramatically more successful at communicating about what he did mm-hmm. and closing deals, you know? Yep. And yep. I, I just think that especially with the leverage that social media and video on the internet and the expectations of people today, getting out there as a speaker, it's just such a great opportunity and who knows, right? Maybe you're really busy in that high level corporate executive job right now. Well, do some speaking, make sure you have a website that where you can list who you are and stuff. Cause one day you might leave that job and you might want to step more fully into your, into your thought leadership or whatever, but that's just, it just opens so many doors. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the greatest things. Yeah. Even if you don't want to be a full-time speaker, um, there's absolutely huge value in, in speaking. And uh, again, the the credibility, the authority, the recognition that we talked about can, can definitely move the needle for you. Yeah. Awesome. Grant. Well, listen, I, I, I think we'll talk again. I really appreciate you joining me on speak like a leader dot show today. Uh, I also really appreciate you sharing everything and uh, I highly recommend that people check you out at the speaker And uh, if you're interested in this and you would like that book, I think that would be a great offer to take advantage of. And uh, so Grant, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, John. Appreciate it, man. Uh, glad to have you. And to you listening, thank you so much for listening. If you think that this is something worthwhile and you know some people you could share it with, we'd certainly love to reach more people with these good messages. And if you've got a minute and you could give us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast and tell people why they might like it, that would be awesome. And until next time, thank you for joining us on speaklikealeader.show. Thank you for joining the Speak Like a Leader podcast. Go be awesome.